In the previous episode, Colonel Koda, a senior Japanese military commander, encountered Doris van der Straten when she was incarcerated with British prisoners of war at Taiping Prison. Koda was then sent to Kuala Lumpur on a posting, and from there he sent for Doris. And that is how Doris van der Straten arrived in Kuala Lumpur in the dark days of war. She was to live there effectively as a prisoner of the Japanese in a grand villa under the watch of Colonel Koda. This villa was close to the van der Straten family home, who watched in horror as rumours swilled around about their daughter-in-law, now notorious as the concubine of the Japanese commander. Of their son and her husband, Philip van der Straten, there was no news, save disturbing rumours of an early Japanese atrocity and a massacre at his mine site in southern Thailand. Now the court calls on Captain Barnagee, prosecution counsel. Thank you, court president. Mr. Van der Straten, I believe you were told that she was the mistress of a Japanese officer, yes? Yes. Mr. Van der Straten, how do you feel when you were told that your wife was the mistress of a senior Japanese officer? Uh, It can't have been easy to hear that. I was shocked at first. Who wouldn't be? Since then, I've had time to reflect. And knowing she'd survived the massacre and her journey, I could only admire her strength and tenacity. Do you forgive your wife? I ask that she forgives me. I didn't try. And find out more about her, I wasn't brave enough. I should have asked questions, sought answers. And if she had to do what it takes to survive the war, who am I to judge? The Bible says, do not judge, and you will not be judged. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Amen to that, Mr. Van der Straten. Amen to that. Thank you, Mr. Van der Straten. That, that is all from me. Now, does the defense wish to speak to Mr. Van der Straten? <clears throat> uh, yes, court president. I hope to be brief. Very well. Proceed. Mr. Van der Straten, I apologize for retaining you. This must be very difficult for you. But I'm afraid I must ask you some pertinent questions. I understand. Now, you and Doris married in 1936, and the marriage took place at the Kuala Lumpur Registry of Marriages and Deaths. Is that correct? Yes, correct. And uh, would you happen to have a copy of the marriage certificate? I'm afraid all documents were lost in the war. Ah, yes, understandable, understandable. However, to confirm the marriage actually took place, I have a copy of the actual certificate of marriage. May I offer to show it to you, Mr. van der Straten? You have it. Court officer, if you would be so kind as to take this to the court president for his perusal, and thereafter to Mr. van der Straten. Before you, Mr. van der Straten, is the marriage registry and with a notation of your marriage to a Mrs. Dolcima Louise Grace Heath. Is that correct? Yes. Now, Dolcima is not an uncommon first name for an Australian of an Italian descent. But there can't be many Dolcima Louise Grace Heaths. In fact, I would go as far as to say there could possibly only be one Dolcima Louise Grace Heath. Wouldn't you agree? Yes. So we can establish that whilst Doris's name was recorded as Dolcima, she preferred to be known as Doris and that the Doris you married is one and the same person. Would that be correct? Yes. 
Mr. Van der Straten, was Doris's marriage to you her first marriage? What? Well, I presumed it was. <laughs> Would it then surprise you to learn that Doris was indeed married before? I have records from the Adelaide Registry of Marriages and Deaths, which clearly state that Dolcimo Louise Grace Heath was married to a Mr. Richard Wall in 1925. May I ask the point of this line of questioning, Court President? Carry on, Hill. I'm intrigued. Mr. Van der Straten, did you know that Mr. Richard Wall was court-martialed for desertion in the Great War and sentenced to two years' imprisonment with hard labour? And there were two daughters from his marriage to Doris, Rosemary and Winifred. Mm. Carry on, carry on. Were you aware of these facts, Mr. Van der Straten? No, I wasn't aware. So would you agree that Doris concealed this from you and purported herself as a virgin bride? I wouldn't know what she thought, sir. Well, it would seem to me, and to the court president, I most humbly dare presume, that by concealing these facts from you, that Mrs. Van der Straten was not only once married to a deserter and a traitor to the country, but she was a woman who traded off her feminine guiles, looks and drives. Upon her divorce from the deserter, she in turn deserted her children. Effectively, Doris was a manipulative individual who jumped ship and selected to tell the truth about herself when it was convenient and to her advantage. Wouldn't you say? I disagree with everything that, that there you- was a pattern to her behavior comes to mind now I mention it. Doris is a user of men, a user of men to her advantage. She would sleep with the enemy, the enemy whom had appeared to have been instrumental in your alleged death, a scarlet woman. She wasn't to know that I survived. I'm sorry to say, sir, that I sincerely doubt that. In all likelihood, being close to the Kempatai would have allowed her access to information as to whether you were alive or dead. Indeed, news of your incarceration in Pratchant Camp had been sent to the International Red Cross during the war. They knew, and she knew, yet she chose Coda's bed for her own, over yours. Your silence speaks for itself, Mr. Van der Straten. I have no further questions for you. Court President, I would like to clarify a few things with Mr. Van der Straten, if I may. Yeah, carry on, Banerjee. Mr. Van der Straten, before you asked Doris to marry you, did you ever discuss her marital status? That she was single by way of being a spinster, widow, or a divorcee? No, I did not. Did you not think that important, Mr. Van der Straten, to let your fiancé know that... You would have married her, whatever her marital state. Court President, surely this is beyond acceptable. Mr. Van der Straten would not know what Doris would have thought. I am not asking Mr. Van der Straten of his belief of Doris' opinions, nor her actions and behaviours. Court President, I do, however, put this supposition to her lawfully wedded husband, as he is the closest testimony we have to obtaining an understanding of Doris' personality Drive and intentions. Carry on. Mr. Van der Straten, in your opinion, why do you think Doris did not tell you that she had been married before and had children? Now you mention it, sir. When I asked Doris to marry me, 
She told me she'd wanted to marry me because she loved me and couldn't think of living a life without me. When I met her at Keppel Bay in Singapore and on our way to Kuala Lumpur, she spoke of how this was a new chance to start anew, start afresh. I thought that it was about her leaving her life behind in Australia, but maybe it was because she wanted to start anew, fresh. My Doris was that kind of girl. She didn't complain about the cards she was dealt. She just dealt with them. That was one of the great things about Doris. She didn't wallow in self-pity. She just got on with it. Hmm. Sorry, court president. Was there something you wish to elucidate or clarify further? No, carry on, carry on. Thank you, court president. And Mr. Van der Straten, I'm glad we've had the opportunity to clear this up. You may step down now. Thank you. The prosecution calls for Mr. Sam Angao. I, Sam Angao, sincerely and solemnly swear in His Majesty's court to tell the truth and nothing but the truth. Mr. Sam Angao, please tell the court your occupation during the time of the Japanese internment on or around 31st August. 1943. I am a Cambridge certificate holder and was official interpreter for the Japanese military. I speak English, Japanese, three Chinese dialects, Malay and some Tamil. Tell us what happened prior to 31st August 1943 before the death of Mrs. Doris van der Straten whilst under the attention of the Kempatai. Is it? Where is the guard? How dare you knock at my front door in this manner and at this time of the night? Don't you know whose house this is? I come on the orders of Lieutenant Shuzi Murakami of the Kenpei Tai. You are to follow me now. Follow you? Do you know who I am? How dare you? You are trespassing on Colonel Koda's property. Madam. Colonel Koda's property belongs to the Emperor of Japan and Lieutenant Murakami has full authority to do as and what is needed with it. I suggest you come quietly and without fuss or you will bear the consequences. This is an outrage. Koda will have you shot for this. In all my life, I've never been so disrespected. Honestly, people Mr. Angao, was Mrs. van der Straten accommodating and cooperative with Lieutenant Murakami? At first, she was angry. She was not happy to be brought to the Kempeita headquarters, but she was civil to the questioning put forward by Lieutenant Murakami. And then? She answered Lieutenant Murakami, but not how he wanted to hear. Explain further, please, by what you mean by what Lieutenant Murakami wanted to hear, please. Lieutenant Murakami was convinced she was a British spy. She denied many, many times, said she was Italian, kept saying her name was Dochima. When Lieutenant Murakami presented the marriage certificate, she was happy to show him that her name was Dochima, an Italian name. 
Hmm. Is Lieutenant Murakami an effective interrogator? Does he get the results he sets out to obtain? Uh, what do you mean? You've witnessed his interrogation techniques prior to Mrs. Van der Straten's interrogation. What methods does he use uh, to, how shall I put it, elicit responses and answers that meet his satisfaction? Oh, like that. The lieutenant has his standard operating procedure. First, he is nice. Offer cigarettes, offer water or coffee, food. If that doesn't work, he uses family details like names of family members, where they live. Oh, and the point of speaking of family matters? He is telling that prisoner, I mean person in custody, that he knows all about the family and they might come to harm if information is not forthcoming. And if that doesn't work? He will get angry, shout, scream, spit, use fists and belts, kicks, tie person to a chair, order us to strip them naked. They have nothing to hide, you see? Strip them of their dignity. He sneered at their physical handicaps. He used lit cigarettes to burn their private body parts, pulled fingernails and teeth, slapped heads so hard they become deaf and cannot hear his questioning, which made him even more angry. And was the lieutenant tasked to interrogate women? Yes. The interrogation methods are the same? With women, yes. Did he rape his female victims? That one, I never see. And with Mrs. van der Straten, she was also stripped naked? Yes. Describe to us what happened during the interrogation of Mrs. Doris van der Straten. I was sent by Lieutenant Murakami to bring Mrs. van der Straten to the Kempeitai headquarters at the Lee Rubber Building in Chinatown. She was interrogated for three days by Lieutenant Murakami. He used all kinds of methods to persuade her to talk, but she was stubborn. He was charming, offered drinks and food. He asked, was she a British spy? Was she sending messages, military secrets? He also asked about her and Koda. Was sex good? And how did she like it? Did she like it with Japanese men? Did she have sex with the guards when Colonel Koda was away? But she refused to answer. She said, Colonel Koda was a protector, a good man. And she was not a British spy. She was an Italian. When that did not work, he withdrew food and water. Then he, he made her stand for a long time on one spot. Each time he returned, he slowly stripped her clothes off her, made her turn around. So... Finally, she stands naked. She whimpers, frightened. He threatened to rape her, throw her from the window. And then he became violent and slapped and kicked her. After three days, she could not take any more. She screamed, You are a tyrant! You can't do this to me! And slapped him across the face. Lieutenant Murakami went crazy and grabbed her by the dress and threw her head first out of the window. Yes, uh, thank you, Mr. Samangao. Uh, please wait there. The defense may have some questions for you. Uh, yes, indeed I do. 
Mr. Samar, now, whilst our memories are fresh with your description of Lieutenant Murakami's treatment of his prisoner, I wish to go back to your earlier narrative in which you said, and I quote verbatim, when that did not work, he withdrew any sustenance, stripped her clothes off her. Do you agree I have quoted you correctly? Correct. Yet moments later, you say, and again I quote, Lieutenant Murakami went crazy and grabbed her by the dress. Was Mrs. van der Straten fully clothed or in a state of undress at the point you allege she was physically manhandled? Let me ask you another way then. Was there a moment when the accused Lieutenant Murakami allowed her to dress herself after she had been stripped of her clothing? Mr. Sam? I don't remember. You don't remember. Yet you say that Mrs. van der Straten had been stripped and then go on to say that Lieutenant Murakami used her clothes as a way of manipulating her out of the window. I'm confused. Please, help me understand here. Maybe it was when I stepped out of the room. Ah, yes. And uh, at what point was this that you uh, stepped out of the room? I don't remember. Again, you don't remember. A little convenient your lapse of memory, Mr. Sam. Moving on, Mr. Sam. How long were you an interpreter for the Kempetai? From early 1942 to August 1945. Almost four years, sir. Until the surrender. As soon as the Japanese invaded the country, you became an interpreter for the most vicious and violent military police? I did not volunteer. I was as how you English say, shanghai You do not, <clears throat> sorry, cannot say no to the Genpei Tai. They have violence in their blood. I see. And is that how it came about? That the violence you observed made you say yes to becoming a Genpei Tai translator? As you have what? The ability to speak six languages fluently and... Tamil, conversationally? I was being interrogated with others. Sir, they did not understand the questions put forward to them by the Genpei Tai. They spoke Japanese. Many did not speak the language. The more they did not understand and respond, the more beatings they got. So, I translated for the others so they can answer the interrogators. So when they were answered, they were released? <laughs> no. They were shot. They were shot. They were executed. And yet you were spared. So is it fair to say that you threw them under the bus to save your own skin? <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, please speak up. I don't believe anyone caught what you said. I know what you are trying to imply. It's not as you make it appear. And what is it you think I am making it appear. That I collaborate with the enemy! But you were their translator. Of course you collaborated with the enemy. What would you call it? No answer. Let the court president observe that the witness remains silent. Now, moving along, Mr. Sam. You mentioned earlier that you speak conversational Tamil. Yes. Do you recall a Mr. Rajasingham, a man of Indian descent? No. Yet another memory lapse, Mr. Court President. Well, let me refresh your memory. He was brought in by the Kempatai for interrogation. In this document I hold before you, 
Mr. Rajasingham asserts that a one Sam R. Now whipped him with a leather strap and also kicked and punched him. And I use the third singular pronoun to provide clarity to the court. I have not been charged with this. You cannot bring this up. Colonel Cully, this is unacceptable. Colonel Cully, I agree with Captain Banerjee. This violence is as unacceptable as the violence you inflict on others. Mr. Sam, I withdraw this evident, Court President. Mr. Sam, we have heard your testimony of the events that led to Mrs. van der Straten's body being found in the street. At one point of the interrogation, she was in a state of undress, and yet when found in the street, you claim she was fully clothed. And you cannot tell us at which point she was allowed to get dressed. I put it to you that this is an untruth and that you yourself were complicit in the act of throwing her out of the window. I put it to you that you made up this fictitious story knowing that what you have done something that would meet with public disfavor in order to save face and regain public confidence. I object. No further questions from me, Court President. Mr. Sam, you may step down now. Thank you. Tune in for the next episode of The Trials of Doris van der Straten.